1: and check out our website at letterrollpodcast.com. Letterroll dot com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcast.com. Today, Nate and new Let It Roll intern Ivan DeHaas continue the Three Kings of Emo rap series with a look at the Lil Peep documentary, Everybody's Everything. Email us at letarollpodcast at gmail dot com. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy.
0: It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox. And once again, welcoming back Ivan DeHaas, the Let It Roll intern to continue our discussion of the three kings of emo rap with king number two, Lil Peep. And we're gonna be discussing the Amazon Prime Video documentary, Everybody's Everything, directed by Sebastian Jones and Ramez Salyan. Ivan, welcome back.
2: Hey Nate, thanks again for having me on.
0: Sure, so another heavy, depressing emo rap tale. Uh, tell us quickly, like where is Lil Peep seen in the constellation of, of emo rap figures?
2: Uh, Lil Peep is seen generally as a uh, one of the most defining crossover artists who mixes a variety of different genres. Um, that was one of the main points of the documentary. And that was also kind of the main appeal of his music. There was a great deal of, um, you know, like acoustic appeal to his uh, music with some R&B mixed in. But at the same time, um, there was definitely a, a relatively strong trap influence and um, very influential figure, um, super groundbreaking. And, um, you know, in the six years since his um, death, his impact has only really uh, continued to be shown
0: yeah i know that's the case in our car my my 10 year old daughter uh is quite big on little peep and extension and and especially little peep though and yeah i was kind of quick to write him off he sounded like chemical romance with trap beats to me when i first heard him um and it wasn't really until his death that i paid any attention to his songs and and for my dollar there is some powerful work there it was um and i think he did combine he created something new by combining existing forms and that kind of had the 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 swagger and the doom feel of trap with all the open emotionalism that comes through the emo tradition particularly i like i don't feel like he's somebody who is going back and studying rites of spring or who's Du or you know 80s or 90s emo but i do feel or even dashboard confessional but i do feel like he was somebody who had grown up on my chemical romance and other emo the big emo groups of the 2000s you think that's a fair assessment
2: absolutely they uh they mentioned that in the documentary a record record executive sort of describes his music as being a um you know uh, reminiscent almost of uh, the likes of green day and my chemical romance especially but with a uh, a more modern flair that seemed pretty fitting for the late 2010s sort of uh, you know emo rap scene
0: yeah and one thing that i didn't bring up We were talking about Xenon and his documentary, but again, this scene is way more integrated than, and you know, some people argue whether or not you should even categorize emo rap as hip hop, and that's that's a whole different discussion I'm not going to get into, but what I can say is, as an outsider looking at this stuff on a pretty superficial level, it seems like racially both extension's organizations and little peeps organizations were way more integrated than anything we would have seen uh definitely in the 70s but even more than in the 80s or 90s um you know the the extension's producer was white tons of people in this organization were white and with little peep lots of black collaborators um people involved on in the business side as well so you know, the, the younger generation I'm, I'm happy to see is, is is mixing and blending more. And, you know, that raises questions of appropriation and all that stuff. But to me, it's more about the music and the creativity and, and people coming together to do positive things. Um, one thing that struck me that was different about this movie, both of these movies are made or definitely have the thumbprint of the estate of the deceased Main figure, and in Extensión's case, it was his relatively young mother, who's you know ten years younger than me, in her mid 40s, you know, trying to 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 run that business she's inherited. And in this case, it was Little Peep's mother and especially his grandfather that were present, and a very different family background than what Extensión had. What was Little Peep's family background?
2: Uh, little Peep was uh, Swedish American and born and raised on, um, on on Long Island, New York. Um, you know, his mother and father um, basically raised him there. And uh, but I think when around when he was twelve and thirteen, his parents' divorce sort of uh, left him bereft of a um, strong father figure. And from an early point onward, his grandfather was the um, the main father figure that he looked up to, or strong male. Um, you know, like guide in his life, and um clips from his uh, grandfather doing voiceovers of the letters that he would send uh Lil Peep or Gus, um you know during his uh teenage years and then during his beginning of um, his journey into the music industry and his career um he does really frequent voiceovers that um you know were really inspiring to both um to both Gus and to you know myself when I was watching the documentary. it seemed like um Although he did not have the the best the best father and the best relationship with him, his grandfather seemed to be someone who is a central point of inspiration um, in his life, and you know provided a great deal of guidance to Gus and um, really provided contributed a lot to the documentary as well.
0: Yeah, and and his background is his grandfather was somebody who was very socially and politically active and and active internationally. He was very involved in in Mexico with left wing politics, so. Right. Kind of a connection to that 20th century ethos um, that's more typical of, of what Let It Roll has covered. But it's almost like having somebody from the Pete Seeger generation or somebody a little younger than Pete Seeger. But but somebody from that activist generation inspired by Pete Seeger and the Weavers uh, acting as sort of the conscience and the narrator of this documentary, which gives us a, a um you know, the, the mixing of the time elements between Lil Peep, who's so definitively 21st century, and his grandfather, who's very 20th century. And you can see those connections. But let's go ahead and hear our first song. This is Lil Peep, Beamer Boy. That was Beamer Boy uh, by Lil Peep, and that was that on one of his self-released mixtapes, or was that on one of his official albums? It's I've seen it on California Girls that came out in 2016, so that was a self-released album. Is that correct?
2: That's correct. Um, that was an EP that uh, preceded his uh, first official 2016 release, Hellboy, and uh, Hellboy was really what started that release of uh, official out, al- uh, you know, like studio albums, what you see. Uh, more often commercially but beamer boy was one of the uh the first songs that uh, along with um star shopping which we'll hear later um that was one of the first songs that really defined his online presence and um you know started to cultivate his following more or less
0: and and how was he releasing this stuff online is is he the prototypical soundcloud rapper
2: Um, He did a lot of networking via the LA underground and um, a lot of the releases early on were, um, were in fact through SoundCloud. Um, Some of the slightly larger um, members of the uh, LA underground who were also putting out, um, you know, music um, in the hip hop scene on SoundCloud. uh, He networked with a couple of them, including, um, including, you know, producers that ended up, helping him with uh on production with future tracks but um i remember at one point he had only 200 followers on soundcloud in 2015 and um you know once he started putting out music and um and people you know more consistently and people got a uh, gauge for really the uh, the unique sound and uh you know very honest uh truthful straightforward approach that his music had that's when he really started to take off but it was um it was largely through SoundCloud that he um, he first, you know, networks and spread his music and then, you know, later moved on to to larger uh, platforms and means to distribution.
0: And so for listeners that are my age and above, explain SoundCloud. What is SoundCloud? How's it different from YouTube and Spotify? What, what made SoundCloud Cloud unique and why did it attract this? I mean, there was a whole movement of outsider rap-adjacent artists that, that use SoundCloud to, to reach wide audiences in the 20, in the 2010s?
2: Well, I think the main appeal of SoundCloud can really be reflected in uh, Lil Peep's initial approach to music, how uh, largely it was him spending time with his friends, um, having fun, enjoying himself, and making the music that they wanted to. Now, what SoundCloud does for artists is basically allow for an easily accessible platform uh, for anyone that wants to put out music, to easily just set it out there and um, you know have a link or put it somewhere public, um, without all the uh, the nuances of larger streaming services, um, it's intentionally mainly its main focus is to be a platform to spread music, and is uh, often a lot less concerned with the likes of uh, of revenue or um, you know anything anything that you would encounter in a more uh, in a more structured environment. It's, um, you know, essentially a great takeoff point for, you know, up and coming artists.
0: And was Peep getting his beats off SoundCloud? Cause I know a lot of beat makers just put raw beats on SoundCloud and then sell or lease that license those to rappers, you know? So you might have somebody who licensed the same beat to five or 10 different rappers and, and, you know, made the best man succeed was that part of how little Peep got his beats?
2: Uh, part of his production was, I believe, in-house from some of his friends, and part of it was um, through the people that aforementioned that he uh, he networked with over SoundCloud. But there were a couple instances where um, he, they would find beats. I mentioned this in the documentary where they find a, a, a you know what they refer to as a smoke perp beat, or a you know a beat that would sound really fitting for the uh, the artist, the rapper, smoke perp, and um, they use that in uh, in one of the recording sessions. However, um, you know, people also um, spent time in person with uh, a lot of people in his, you know, collective, the various collectives that acted as his producers at the time. And then also, um, you know, like networks with producers later on, uh, which was a little bit more of a direct and, um, you know, like curated process than merely just purchasing beats off of SoundCloud.
0: And tell us about Schema Posse. What was that, and and you know who are who are some of the people involved in that, and how did Lil Peep get involved with them?
2: So uh, Schema Posse was around this group of thirty or so rappers that um, was the first collective uh, Lil Peep associated with. Um, it was essentially, I believe, it started because one of Lil Peep's uh, uh, friends was in Schema Posse, got invited, and um, Once they uh, once they met up and began collaborating, uh, that allowed them to, um, you know, kind of have a a large enough um, large enough platform to to gather people for small shows in various places around the United States for the likes of uh, of Tucson and then also uh, California. Um, And this was around the time that uh, the previously played song Beamer Boy. Uh, started to gain traction. Um, that's what really elevated uh, Lil Peep from the rest of the Schema Boy posse. Uh, I believe the, the the head of Schema Boys was uh, uh, Jay Green, who appears throughout the documentary and provides a lot of insight into uh, you know Lil Peep's, Lil Peep's life and career. Um, so that allowed him to basically begin to move around the United States and uh, get acclimated to the idea of, you know spending time with an entourage um you know doing shows in various venues although at first they were like run down houses and small you know nothing that's super professional super planned out it was a very um, it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing but uh something that nonetheless helped prepare Pete for like his further career as he you know approached Sargon
0: yeah and Jay Green is very much a compelling voice and presence in in the documentary I mean he Frequently, and and I'm sure the director's kind of set this up, but he frequently acts as kind of the Greek chorus or the voice of reason or the old friend who wishes little Peep had made different decisions. Is that a fair assessment?
2: I believe so. I I saw uh, Jay Green as the the one that's rational, down-to-earth, and most familiar with Peep. Um, I think his skepticism towards Peep's death at the end of the documentary um shows how alienating um you know surrounding oneself with with um you know people who who want you know who want your attention and validation but won't necessarily immediately look after you. I think I think the last part of the documentary where you know Jay Green essentially highlights that a lot of these people are going to, you know, be false in this in this documentary. They're they're going to basically be fake. And um I thought that was really compelling and he definitely he seemed like one of the people who knew knew Pete personally the closest and was, you know, sort of um, he was wary of um, of Peep's trajectory and uh, especially, you know, where it brought him.
0: Yeah, and, and so Lil Peep was only involved with the schema posse for what about a year? And Ghostmane, uh, for that same period of time, I mean, where was like how does Ghostmane or or Jay Green, I mean Were the other Schema Posse posse members even comparable to Little Peep in terms of impact and success? Did he just blow past them all and that's why he left? Or were there other reasons that they split?
2: Well, when Peep started bringing out, um, you know, releasing singles, and it was pretty based on their online reception, um, a lot of Peep's, um, you know, songs began to have impact. Um, That's when not only Peep's satisfaction with himself increased, but everyone else's kind of appreciation for his music uh, in the Schema Posse gave him that sense of validation. Um, and I think people wasn't used to having this, um, you know, like sudden, um, sudden focus, attention from so many people turned on to him. So um, he was a very, you know, kind and sensitive person, very receptive and um you know basically always always welcomed uh company even though a lot of times it was overwhelming for him and um i think jay green pointed out to him uh right before he left schema policy you know why do you think you have 30 best friends all of a sudden uh, you know since you've you've begun to like you know, gain this online following through your music um why do you think this occurred so instantaneously and um i think that was a that was a really good word of advice but Peeps leaving Schema Posse um, really showed that he was, in fact, one of the most prominent members within the uh, within the group at that time, especially because everyone followed suit after that. Uh, Schema Posse just gradually dwindled. And then um, Jay Green mentioned that it was essentially over with pretty shortly after Peep left because um, a lot of people, um, like you mentioned, Ghostman, um, a lot of people followed suit. And um, you know, Schema Posse essentially ended. Uh, more or less after after Pete's uh, departure.
0: And let's hear a little more, little peep. This is white tea. And that was White T from Little Peep's uh, Schema Posse era. And, and so what was his next move after, after he left the Schema Posse? What, what did he do after that?
2: Well, in, uh, that was a bit of an adjustment period for, uh, for Peep uh, because that was around um, early to mid-2016. Um, Peep didn't have a particular place to stay and um really the one person in the world that he uh he spent all all this time with and that he could trust was uh, Lil tracy who is a um you know a frequent collaborator and close friend of his and uh will tracy appears on white tea and uh in that time during during peeps um you know phase of phase of homelessness not having a place to stay that's when they made white tea together uh it was very instantaneous um in terms of the way they you know wrote recorded and produced it and um Essentially, when that released, that was another, um, you know, another track that was indicative of of Peep's growing success because of its online reception. It's uh, it became further popular. And um, although he's obviously released subsequent music, that's that's gotten far more popular. um, This song was a landmark point in his life that I think really uh, turned things around for him in a period where. He was a bit wayward and did not have as much of a support network as, as he did uh, in, you know, when he was with large groups of people previously, but he was still with, um, you know, the the close group of people that he did stick by, especially the likes of Lil Tracy. Um, those are the people who were, who were, you know, the, his closest friends, those that he could trust. And those that especially helped in the, with the likes of his career.
0: And, so, Little Tracy was in another collective called Gothboy Click, correct?
2: That's correct. Little Tracy was the one to introduce Little Peep to Gothboy Click.
0: All right, and tell us a little bit about Gothboy Click and how they're different from the Schema Posse, and and how they what role they played in Little Peep's career.
2: Well, Gothboy Click was um, the collective that Little Peep belongs to in the 2016-2017 era of his career when things really started taking off. Um, not only did uh, belonging in this collective give him further um, further exposure and further, um, you know, acclimation to a um, to, uh, a, you know, performing environments and, um, you know, essentially going through the process of of making music and then also um, going to various locations around the US, for example, Denver, Colorado, um, and uh, Los Angeles um and that that latter that latter location was really where Gothboy Quick comes in is they were very well known in the LA underground scene um and really helped uh little peep uh, further network that way and um he met his manager who uh Chase Ortega who further helped out peep's you know career uh, aspire to commercial status um who wouldn't have known about little peep if it weren't for his um you know, is the fact that he was associated with Golf Boy Click. But the moment Ortega heard Peep's music, that's when he knew that he was different and, um, you know, basically approached him personally, just wanting to help him with his career rather than to, you know, try and do anything pertaining to contracts. Or um, he really just saw the potential in Peep, um, you know, when he was with Gothboy Boy Click and, um, you know, wanted to personally help, um, you know, give him an even better platform and, you know, have higher aspirations for his career.
0: And what were the next steps in his career? What were they able to pull off?
2: Um, quite a lot, I believe. They um, they were living in a loft for a while um, and living, you know, basically paying paying rent, um, you know, person to person. A lot of people living in one space. Um, however, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the exposure that he got from the underground scene allowed to attract, um, you know, further further attention. From um, major labels and um, you know people for the sake of PR and other other um, record executives with further music connections more or less um, and then also I think although people wasn't necessarily commercial at this time yet um, the underground LA scene definitely helped them network with um, with artists that had reaches basically all across the United States and uh, even on an international level as well as we see um, you know in the in the coming few months as uh Lopi starts to um you know have a lot of venues in the likes of russia and belgium um going into 2017 which uh, i thought was a pretty compelling part of the documentary
0: yeah i thought that was really powerful i mean just seeing the all of the concert footage from this one it, very similar to the Extensión one and i mean there was clearly vibrant scenes of young people really getting into the music and it reminded me very much of things i'd seen in the punk underground in the 80s and 90s and there's you know in the documentary people are explicitly connecting this to punk rock to punk rock although not necessarily punk rock music but the ethos the ideal of being independent the ideal the collective ideals the idea of taking it directly to the fans but it seemed like little peep you yeah, know, the more he put himself out there, the more he attracted hangers on and was not able to cut himself off. Let's take a sponsor break. When we come back, we'll hear more about the downfall of Little Peep. All right, and about the middle of the movie, they talk about a big show that Little Peep's about to do, and I think it's Chase Ortega that he told, "I don't think I can do this." And he had apparently taken or been given uh, a different combination of drugs than he was used to taking. And, and they they show the concert footage, and at the beginning, he's barely muttering his way through. And it seemed like it seemed like his performance practice was to rap over pre-recorded tracks of himself so that he could kind of mumble his way through, and they just turned on the dry ice machine so people couldn't necessarily tell that he wasn't speaking in the mic. But at some point, he turned it on, and it ended up becoming one of the most successful showcases for him for the music business. Do you know any more about that incident, or what was your take on that on that incident? Uh,
2: watching that and kind of the lead-up to it, um You know they showed previous scenes because they had a you know camera filming him on the um you know the commute to the uh venue and then you know him in the backstage getting prepared and walking out um the whole time i just i sort of saw it as as an inevitable issue that was going to occur once he was on stage um it seemed like um you know he had a he had a terrible headache um and had a mixture of drugs on the way to um on the way to the venue and i think the fact that Chase Ortega, um, you know, really tried to uh, put his foot in the door and, or put a stop to Peep's substance abuse, I think really, especially became clear as to like why his his incentives for that were because, I mean, this was really starting to get out of hand, especially with Peep. This one scene was, I think, the particular showcase of when, um, I think, Peep's you know Peep's habits around around the people that he was comfortable with, the large groups of, of friends and his, and his entourage he would have, the, uh, the doing all the drugs and, um, you know, having that, that very flamboyant and, um, you know, daredevil reckless attitude that, um, you know, was associated with Little Peep as opposed to Gus, the person who he actually was. Um, that, you know, that second half of him that really catered to that performative side when he was around all those people, um, I think it started to take a toll on him. And it was never more clear than that one show. But I think I think the positive reception he was getting from the audience even before he sort of um you know found revived revived himself and found the the strength to turn around and finish the show, show strongly, I think Peep realized in that moment the amount of um, the amount of unconditional love that was coming from the crowd. I think Peep is one of those artists, especially um, you know, in late twenty sixteen, early twenty seventeen, who was defined by um, you know, maybe a a, a small to mediocre sized for commercial standards, but nonetheless dedicated and um, you know loving fan base. And that was, I think, that was the main takeaway I got from that was the fact that they still supported him, even though it was pretty clear he was he was physically struggling. And I think he found he found you know strength and solace in that as well.
0: And that leads uh, pretty quickly, or or quickly thereafter. I don't know if that showcase led directly to it, but then he signs with a and AWOL, which are AWOL at least is a subsidiary of Sony, and then and then starts putting together the Come Over When You're Sober album. Like, for you as a fan, when did you first become aware of Little Peep? Was it the Come Over When You're Sober, or had he already penetrated the consciousness of fans uh, in your circles? Uh,
2: to be honest, it was around late 2017. So um, around the time of, or it was a few, I think it was basically in the wake of the release of Come Over When You're Sober. And it was largely through um, people that I, my friends at school and the people that I spent my time around in high school around that time. Um, that's that's where I was made vaguely aware of Little Peep. And um, at first, you know, there was a lot of artists uh, circulating at that time, especially in the, the conversation of, of who's uh, who's the, you know, the best out right now with respect to like the you know the high schoolers and um and uh although little peep was you know one of the names in the conversation i think the way his music personally resonated with some of the people that i personally knew um that became especially clear i think mainly in the wake of his death um that's when uh, a lot of people who i was close with who i'd never uh, never known were that dedicated of little peep fans that's when they started to Really, um you know, mention his music more frequently, and also you know, obviously pay homage when um, when it was discovered that Lil Peep, you know, died on November fifteenth. And um, but it was around that time, I think, when um, in that in that high school environment, um, Lil Peep was definitely one of the names who I would heard a lot. But he had he had a, a definitely a much more personal impact, I think, on a lot of people's lives. And um you know, it was crazy how uh, some of them just went under my nose, and I think you know, basically very, very personal artists. And, uh, you know, that was especially clear in the wake of his death.
0: Yeah, it's interesting looking at his discography and his chart placement. I mean, and and maybe we should have started with Lil Peep instead of Extensión because he kind of comes first in the narrative. He was the first one to do releases and and the first one to pass away. But, you know, whereas Extensión had these massive number one uh, chart hits, Little Peep was much more underground when he was alive. And in fact, his biggest hit was a posthumous collaboration with Extensión that made, I think, the top 20 in the United States. Although he, he had number one hits in New Zealand and and, and in Europe and around the world. Um, kind of more of a global performer. Um, What was the take of kids to the posthumous Little Peep-Extensión collaboration? Because I know there had been some crosstalk between the two of them or their camps like they had not been friends or allies when they were alive did it seem like a ghoulish cash-in or did people just dig the song
2: uh to be honest i think the main the main way it was portrayed upon its release was the fact that it seemed like a, a posthumous collaboration that was more thrown together these were these were two artists who had very different approaches to um to kind of this you know personal narrative uh style of alternative hip-hop that they had going granted you know they had their uh individual unique things but there wasn't a lot that was uh was common ground with respect to um you know actually making music together when they were alive and um i think in the this was at the moment where it was realized that having those two names on i think a uh, a uh, the release of a single would um, instantly make an impact on streaming services with respect to numbers so um i i view falling down and and others that i have talked to view falling down as more of a um you know more of a um mutually posthumous collab uh, rather than something that seemed um planned out um when both these artists were still alive
0: yeah i mean xinción was alive for that track and if you listen to other artists, like there's other versions of Falling Down that have Little Peep's part, but then have somebody else doing the middle sections and the things that Extensione did. I found it very dramatic. You could really hear what Extensione brought to the table in terms of inventive melody and even his spoken asides. It just creates a much more powerful package than any of the other versions. Um, and, and yeah, and their ethos are so different. I mean, Little Peep essentially is somebody who is too nice to get rid of the hangers-on and ended up surrounded by bad company and and falling into misadventure when there wasn't anybody there who cared enough to look out for him or was capable enough to look out for him. Whereas Extension's problems were with the criminal justice system and his own behavior, Uh, but it seemed like Extension was surrounded by a much more caring circle of people. Uh, than little peep who just could not clear out the hangers on i mean there's multiple stories of little peep calling somebody crying as he's locked himself in a wardrobe in his own home with nowhere to go because he's got five hangers on sleeping on his bed another four of them sleeping on his couch every chair in the house and most of the floor space is full of these people that are just just glommed onto him and uh you know just just pretty tragic and awful Uh, the the Every, every time I watch this, I just want to save these kids, you know, they, they, they're young enough to be my kids. And it, it, you just want to reach through the screen and slap them in the face and just like clear these parasites out of your apartment, kid. It's not that hard. But let's go ahead and hear Star Shopping by Little Pete. And that was "Star Shopping" by Little Peep. Tell us about that song. How did it fit into his overall career arc? Who he work with, etc.
2: I view "Star Shopping" as really that initial spark that lit the flame for his career. This was the uh, the 2015 single that released on um, on SoundCloud, you know, under his moniker Little Peep, and um, <clears throat> really the the kind of a the acoustic. Lo-fi uh, mix combined with the sparse drums and really low um, peeps very straightforward lyrics. Um, that was really a career-defining style, I think, for him, and um, one that he he definitely expanded upon and um, and really really honed in on. But nonetheless, um, Star Shopping was the foundation for a lot of the uh, the, the sonic approach to uh, to music that a lot of his albums had. Um, so I thought that was definitely, I you know, that was one of the most significant songs for Peep's initial online presence. Um, although that's, you know, the 2015 track and, um, you know, subsequent releases have gotten a little bit more exposure with respect to just having a platform, a larger platform to put them on and spread it to. But um, yeah, Star Shopping was really, if you had to frame it as any one song as the beginning for Lil Peep, it would be that one.
0: Hmm. And who did he work with on that one? What what was different about his approach from his previous recordings?
2: Um, well, that was during the uh, the Schema Boys era when Star Shopping released, um, or just prior actually. But uh, Star Shopping was really what started to uh, gain that traction, essentially in the like a you know small tightly knit community of the the SoundCloud underground. Um, the recording process was essentially just him in his room, um, practicing takes and, and singing and then, um, and then taking that and through some online networking on the likes of, um, message boards and whatnot, uh, being able to, uh, you know, link up with other people, for example, producers that allowed, allowed him to kind of have this more drawn out process with with others who were who were more practiced in um, producing and putting out music and um you know star shopping was essentially the result from that
0: yeah it's interesting like multiple people emphasize how little peep was focused on being productive and focused on the creativity and would essentially whatever tools at hand is what they were going to use if you had a crappy microphone they were going to record with a crappy microphone if the best camera they could get was an old vhs you know video camera that's what they were going to make the video on and it totally fit with his lo-fi aesthetic and the lo-fi aesthetic that that fit at the time and and you know definitely made a certain magic but then then the documentary gets into kind of the origin story of little peep and what exactly it was that happened with his dad although Multiple people in the documentary allude to even worse things having happened with his dad, but I'm not going to speculate because we don't have any idea what it was. But what we do know that happened with Little Peep and his dad that precipitated his parents' divorce is pretty heinous. What was his dad doing that caused Little Peep to basically blow the whistle on him to his mom?
2: His dad was uh, was cheating, basically, to put it simply. Um, he was, you know, contacting another girlfriend that he had, um, while little Peep was in the car as a, um, as a, a, young adolescent and, um, you know, his father would tell him not to tell his mom about, you know, contacting this other woman. But, um, I think, I think Peep's, Peep's allegiance really to his, to his mother, um, someone who had always cared for him and, and been there for him. Um, it really prevailed in that moment. And, Uh, Pete took, you know, exhibited a great deal of courage and bravery for, for, you know, a 12 year old to, um, to basically run into the house from where he was with his dad in the car and, and tell his mom about, you know, this other person. And, you know, although that was, I think, definitely the right, right call to make on Pete's behalf, it was, it was very, it was very brave. Um, It did result in um, the relationship between his parents uh, Be falling apart, or at least it was a major contributing factor. And you're right; they mentioned that there could have been possibly more heinous things uh, that his dad did, and they didn't go into um, a large amount of detail on it on the documentary. But his father um, drifted away from him pretty soon after that 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 key event, and that's sort of framed as um, one of the um, one of the events pertaining to his family life, his his parents' marriage that um, he had a role in. And um, I thought that was a particular turning point. It seems like things changed a lot personally for Lil Peep after his parents' divorce.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, when you look at the footage of him, the family home movies of him as a baby, it reminds me so much of Kurt Cobain's childhood and, and before Cobain's parents' divorce. We've got this beautiful little blonde kid that's clearly beloved and part, seemingly part of a loving family. And then – you end up with this kid who's got you know all the symptoms of of having been traumatized by a broken home and i I can't remember which song it is but one of little peeps big lines is i've been on my own since i was nine years old and it makes you wonder is that around the time like was his father talking to side pieces in front of him the whole time or and little peep just started to realize what was going on when he was nine or ten but to me just the audacity and and just to assume that your kid is either too stupid to notice what you're doing or won't care—it's just so awful—and and you can see where that would really mess a kid up. But let's let's go ahead and hear our last cue, um, and this is save that shit. Uh, little peek. And that was Save That Shit by Little Peep. And, and that's going to be one of my favorite uh, Little Peep songs. I don't know if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing that in the car with my 10-year-old. Uh, we, we both enjoy it. It's not always, uh, you know, uh, got some curse words in there and, and and some concepts we've had to discuss. But it's, it's it's a heck of a song. But let's talk about this last phase. Like, who's I Love Maconan? And how did he get involved? and And what kind of work? And what did... What did Little Peep's management do to try to get him away from the Gothboy clique and the situation in L.A.? Uh,
2: I Love McConnell actually um, had somewhat of a commercial presence at a time. He was a he was another rapper, um, but he had a little bit of a more melodic approach and was um, was basically um, <clears throat> he had a very separate vein of music. But I think when him and Little Peep got the chance to um, to meet up. And um, and make music together because um, I love and, um <clears throat> Saw his music and saw a really unique figure behind the music, and expressed a great deal of interest with this, um, you know, this this rising this rising star. And um, I think when they met up, um, I love McConnell Definitely in the documentary, especially expressed kind of the idea of that they both seemed like sort of um, you know like hurt souls and sensitive people who found a lot of uh, solace and comfort within each other's presence, especially when they were making music. And um, I think around this time, you know, um, the situation with the goth boy click where they were getting particularly big. um, Like you mentioned, Lil' Peep had a difficult time saying no. Um, You know, he, with every, you know, every big scene involving his entourage, it's just shown people, people strewn out everywhere and um, you know, little peep in the in the midst of it, and just a lot of times, it seems like he's sort of dissociative. Um, you know, it seems as if he's he's sort of removed from the scene. And around this time, you kind of mention, you kind of uh, start to see that um, this this like outside pressure is um, really not only affecting it consistently, continuously affecting his um, decisions with respect to drug use. But also, um, you know, his his outward appearance and his general personality, where in an interview um, while he's on the Come Over When You're Sober Part One tour, um, he mentions how the anxiety just keeps increasing and worsening. And it's pretty clear that the people that he's surrounding himself with definitely aren't helping him.
0: Yeah, uh, well, they seem to be trying. I mean, like, who's... Sarah Stennett of First Access Entertainment. Like and what did she try to do? Like like the whole bit where they they get little peep to Europe and hook him up with the fashion world. That seemed to be Sarah Stennett's attempt to rescue him. Um do you know any more about her in the context of of the music biz and also little peep in particular?
2: I'm not particularly familiar with um, with Sarah Stennett's uh status as a music executive, but her role in propelling little peeps, um, you know, image and, and music to a more worldwide context, especially with the, uh, the venues that he was playing. And, um, especially like you mentioned, the whole vein of fashion that he was exhibiting interest in definitely was an effort to sort of, um, you know, use, use peeps, um, use peeps exposure, uh, to his benefit rather than, um, you know, further cater, catering to the uh, the hangers on when um, when Sarah sees the um, the the situation with everyone, you know, in, in Peep's house and constantly relying on him for for the likes of, of clothing and for, you know, certain things, a lot of it involving money. Um, Sarah mentions that, you know, we have to you know, we have to get little Peep out of out of L.A. And that's I think that played a large role, you know, getting him from L.A. to London. Um, played a role in in not only his career but also in just sort of the the general direction that he he took with his life and his interests. Um, I thought it was interesting that he you know wanted to get into fashion and that occurred you know largely in that period of time where he was spending a lot of time in Europe doing magazine shoots and whatnot.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting. He's he's in this period where he's he's traveling to Europe. He's doing the fashion things. It seems like Saracen has. Uh, you know, a hand on his career and is steering him away from the most dangerous uh, aspects of his lifestyle. He's still working with Smoke Kasach, the, the SoundCloud producer out of Memphis that had done a lot of his early beats. But now he's also working with, you know, um, some big time people, uh, producer, I can't remember his name, oh, Rob Cavallo, who had done stuff with My Chemical Romance in Lincoln Park, which seems like a totally logical move. So it's, you know, this is a really exciting time. And it seems like things are just going to get bigger and bigger for a little peep. And he decides to do one more tour with the GBC crew. Tell us about that and, and what happened on that tour.
2: Well, that was the um, that was sort of the mid to late 2017 uh, interview. And um, or that was the mid to late 2017 tour. And um, it was supposed to be sort of a. Uh, more smaller situation involving low peep and uh lil tracy but um you know essentially peep was uh touring in places where he couldn't be in close proximity to the person trying to you know get him to restrain his habits especially pertaining to substances you know his manager chase ortega um however they got a um they got a new tour crew uh for this you know it wasn't it wasn't the one who it wasn't the crew that really knew, knew the ropes and knew what to do, uh, in, in certain situations. And, um, the production manager, you know, at the time for, you know, this, this tour crew, the last golf Boy Click clicked or, uh, mentioned that it was, you know, one of the worst, most disorganized tours that they'd ever bet on. Um, you know, they had people doing, doing, assuming multiple jobs that they, you know, weren't supposed to be worrying about because others were just incompetent and um, you know that contributed to part of that sense of anxiety that he felt and um and sort of the growing claustrophobia even though um even though it was you know supposed to be just just him and a um you know little tracy and a close group of uh you know people that he trusted um however you know for two months on that tour um it was pretty much it was it was concerts that you know seemed to go well in terms of reception but in between that it was it was um, stop you know, partying and, and also like organizing things for the subsequent tours. It was a very tiring experience from what it sounded like. And, um, this was the tour that eventually culminated in, in Deep's death one night when he, um, he overdosed on, uh, fentanyl, something that he had was laced and, um, he was out cold for five, five plus hours on a tour bus. And, uh, you know, he had a blanket on then go ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, the, party continues around him it was really chilling when his friend who wasn't there was describing you know looking at the phone footage you know that 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 came out and it's clear that little peep is in the same exact posture for hour after hour as this party just goes on all around him it's it's really horrific and ghoulish
2: absolutely um and you know it's even more chilling looking back on it knowing full well that in those shaky phone videos that were released all those all those you know very quick pans to little peep or you know when he shows up in the background on the couch you see you know you mentioned that exact same position and you you know i think that at that point he's he's gone and yet you know it's it's all on video and it's all everything's still kind of happening amassing around him without knowledge that he is he's not okay in that moment and it's um i don't know that was definitely the most chilling part of the 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 documentary
0: yeah it was very upsetting it ultimately resulted in a wrongful death suit i know that chase ortega was separated from the from the wrongful death suit sorry about the dog and um and 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 not uh you know held liable but i don't know if anybody else is still on the hook the suits continuing so yeah, just a tragic end. And it, it really, you know, we've seen Lil Peep's music kind of endure. It's only been a few years since his death, seven years since his death. But it seems like new generations of fans are, are being drawn to his music. How do you think Little Peep is going to be remembered in the next, not not forever, but say in the next 10, 15 years?
2: I think Lil Peep is, um, again, going to be remembered by the sort of the 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 spirit of of kindness and and straightforwardness that he he exudes not only in his music but also just in the impacts that he's had on his you know on the on his fan base you know they the sort of it's commonly he's commonly seen as someone who is you know very very soft and kind hearted and although although his music you know has this has a certain like flair to it that is reminiscent of other genres of hip hop and you know the likes of trap music. I think Lil Peep really had a unique crossover going that few other artists could really uh, cater to or you know say that they've say that they've done. I thought that upon first hearing Peep's music and you know especially listening to it more extensively, um, he very he had a very unique approach. To the likes of emo rap and alternative hip hop, that um, really culminated in a sound that no other artist has. And um, I honestly think his influence in the next ten or fifteen or so years will um, will definitely remain prominent. It seems like there's a great deal of appeal in the in the lo-fi acoustic approach to hip hop, and um, I think in the years since Peep's passing, that's only proven. You know, based on On the online presence of alternative hip-hop it's only proven to be um you know more and more influential and enjoyable from a a growing fan base around the world
0: yeah so far so good and so ivan for ivan de haas i'm nate wilcox we've been discussing the little peep documentary everybody's everything and next week we'll be back to wrap up the three kings of emo rap series with a look into juice world into the abyss (laughs)
1: Follow the Letter Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Roll Cast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Next week, Nate and Ivan conclude the Three Kings of Emo Rap series with a look at the Juice World documentary, Into the Abyss. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcast.com.